You are listening to the Ultimate Intimacy Podcast, where we discuss how to find ultimate intimacy in your relationship. We believe that no matter how many years you've been married, you can achieve passion, romance, happiness, and ultimate intimacy at any stage of your life. Join us as we talk to not only marriage experts, but couples just like yourself and people who are just flat out fun. The Ultimate Intimacy Podcast is for couples who have a good relationship but want to make it even better. Hi, and welcome to episode 105 of the Ultimate Intimacy Podcast, and we are so excited to have Tammy Hill, who is a certified sex therapist with us today. Uh, Tammy, we've talked to you before, but it's been a while. We're so excited to have you on and discuss this important topic today. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Nick and Amy. I'm honored to be here. Thanks. So this literally is the question of the year. Yeah, we get we get so (laughs) many people. Or the century, or I don't know. Like it's a this has caused a lot of lot of problems and issues in marriages. Like we just get this question and issue all the time. So we're so grateful to have a full on expert professional be able to talk about this because it's such yeah, it's a big one. It is. Complaint, that's for sure. So the title of today's uh, podcast episode is dealing with different sex drives and why you need to find a balance in your marriage. And so as we get kind of started. I think people often think that, you know, they, they're going to get married and they're going to have the same sex drive and they're just going to want to have sex often. And for most couples, that is that is not the case. Um, there's typically a high desire spouse and a low desire spouse. And what everyone out there listening should know is that's pretty common and typical in a marriage to have a high desire spouse and a low desire spouse. But it's so important for couples to find that balance. We know that the divorce rate is so high. And if you look at uh, divorce attorneys' websites, the number one and number two reason uh, and cause for divorce is sexual intimacy issues and then infidelity, which sometimes can be correlated to back to the first one as well. And so we know it's a problem for a lot of marriages out there. And so again, as Amy said, we're so excited mm-hmm. to, to discuss this with you. But uh, just kind of jumping in, I guess, what are what are your thoughts on that? And I guess, why why do you think it's so important for couples to find a sexual balance in their marriage? Well, I think one of the leading causes for people to come into therapy is that they're dissatisfied with um one person is dissatisfied with the amount of sex they're having and the other's feeling broken and like they're the problem. So the high desire partner, typically, I think there's a little bit of um, not really owning the responsibility that they're contributing to the sex life and that there's a lot of finger pointing and not a lot of personal, you know, assessment. What could I do better? How could I be a better lover? How could I be a better spouse? Um, and then the other, the low desire partner often feels, like I said, they uh, feel like they're the problem. The dynamic does not create teamwork. It becomes what the couple is arguing about now yeah. more than, um, and so you feel divided. So it's normal. It's very common. Uh, I will, I'll just jump in and say, it's too bad that here in the United States, we look at that as being, we either have a high sex drive or we don't. 
yeah. or we either have a low sex drive or we don't because it's not an honor off sex des sexual desire isn't an honor off like a light switch yep there's um, research that Emily Nagoski has done uh, at length on the different types of desire. There's spontaneous desire. Have you talked about this before? No, lead into well, it. Well, we have a little okay. bit, but we haven't done like a full, it's been a long time. <laughs> yeah, this is great, great reminder for the audience. That. So there's spontaneous desire, there's responsive desire, and there's contextual desire. So for spontaneous, that's kind of just what it sounds like. You just all of a sudden feel like you want to have sex. And as you can imagine, most women don't feel that way. About 15% of women sometimes have spontaneous sexual desire, where 75% of men have, yep. have more sexual spontaneous desire. And so that's the biggest mm -hmm. um, difference is that men are visual that we're, they're wired, their brains are wired visually. And so when they see something, they respond with that spontaneous desire and want to act upon it. Women typically um, are more responsive, meaning that there has to be some type of, um, something's going on that's making it so that she wants to engage, that there's she's responding to something that's happening. and. So for women, about 30% of women feel like they are more responsive in how they respond, their desire pattern, and only 5% of men feel like they're responsive. So there's a discrepancy mm -hmm. there as well. And so the thing, that no, the thing that men need to understand, I believe, is the number one thing that women find globally, this is the whole world, that women find the most attractive any guesses? Do you know what it might be? What they actually observe in their husbands and they think, oh, he's so sexy. I want to be with him. I would guess providing the emotional intimacy one way or another, whatever that looks like for a couple. But Yeah, I agree with that. It definitely yeah. contributes. Yeah, it's, it's emotional. But it's interesting because for women all around the world, they seem when they look at men caring for children, or, or nurturing babies. Oh, or... I said that one before. Yeah, I'm always yeah. like, yeah. when you play with the kids, it makes, oh, I just, so attractive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's, and men, a lot of times don't, they don't get that. That's not what they're responsive to, right? And mm -hmm. so, and then the contextual is a good combination. Both men and women feel that it's just kind of, it needs to be the right time. The kids need to be in bed. We've got to Feel like we're clean and showered or whatever it kind of leads up to when we feel like we're ready now to have this desire Absolutely. so instead of looking at it as you have it or you don't i think we just need to shift the way that where our brains are wired and normalize the fact that men are more spontaneous and women are more responsive and i love that because for us in our marriage, Nick's definitely the spontaneous. I'm definitely the responsive. Like yeah. that's maybe it wasn't like that at the beginning, but it's definitely like that now. And that caused a lot of issues for us in the fact, I mean, you're 15, whatever, when we were having some struggles, he was thinking that I was just like not into him, not attractive anymore, not grateful for him. Just all those things that men start to feel when they're being denied or you're not like, he's always like, why don't you throw me against the wall? Or just like, do you know I, what I'm joking, it's a joke. Course, yeah. But like, why don't you ever like pursue and initiate and like, and that's why. And it's like, I'm not, 
It's not because I'm not attracted and I don't love you and I don't, I'm not grateful for you. It's just, we're so built so differently, most of us women. And so once we could start talking about that and he could understand that he's like, okay, I'm not so offended by that. Now I just need to do the things that are going to put you in the mood or that are attractive to you. Like those kind of things that, so to speak, turn you on and get you in the mood. And that changed everything for him. It's just knowing that that's yeah, how we're exactly. wired and that we could communicate. Just, about just having that knowledge. And a couple of things you said that I want to point out that are really important is you said, you know, once the low desire spouse often feels like they're broken. And that is not, that's not the case at all. Just like you laid out, they just have a different uh, desire style. And if we as husbands can understand what that is, and once I understood what that was, then then I kind of knew, okay, that makes sense. Because I, I think as men, we only know what we know, right? So in my mind, I'm a spontaneous person. I don't know any difference. So I think, well, God, that's got to be the way Amy should be. Or, you know, because that's, that's all we know. And so, you know... But obviously, that's not the way she is. But so understanding what you just talked about, the responsive or, or desire styles can really help men understand, okay, here's what I need to do differently, or here's how I need to approach things, or here's how I need to get my wife in the mood, rather than just saying, oh, she's broken, or, or she's feeling like she's broken, and nothing could be further from the truth. Yeah, they're, they're not broken. It's just... It's we we're, we're just different and we got to figure out a way to make those differences work right yeah and there i want to make sure that your listeners know this is stereotypical yeah there are women out there who are the high desire partners sure. with a, a low desire husband um in my practice i would guess it's probably around 30 70 30 percent of the couples that are experiencing frustration this way it's the wife that's more the high desire the other thought i wanted when you were talking is men need to understand um what their wives need to have that responsive desire mm -hmm. but i think women have a huge responsibility to identify what arouses them to understand uh what do i find um instinctively sexy and it might be different a little different mm -hmm. for each woman but to be able to identify times when you look at your husband or you're with your husband and you're feeling arousal and you're enjoying what you're doing and you think, I might want to have sex with him. Those are really important things for a woman to know and to communicate. Love Otherwise, it. the guy's just guessing. I think if I vacuum or fold the clothes or, you know, whatever it's that way, I think women need to really identify what does create arousal in them. Like when my husband massages my head, like my hair, my scalp, and brushes my hair at night while we're watching the news or something, I, I'm halfway already there. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with that. <laughs> that is just a real erogenous zone for yeah, me. Yeah. And so learning all of that, I think, is really important to communicate together, create this as not a competition or it's it's, a failure or you're feeling rejected but that this is a this is we're created this way intentionally and we're supposed to figure out how to work with that and be a team about it and i i love how you talk about communication and sharing that with your husband because we as men like let's face it like we want to please our wives we want to know what to do but a lot of times we just need to be told right and so 
and and knowing that sometimes the desire styles can change over time based upon what we're going through what what may have worked or been away a year ago might be different now so i love that you really hit on communicating as a woman saying you know hey to the husband this is what i want or this is what feels good to me or this is what i need you to do and just always having that open communication and also being open to sexual intimacy the struggle we're hearing from so many couples the wives are just full of excuses i don't want to do it i'm too tired i have this i have this headache i just all those things that we hear about like like you said, talk about it. Like when Nick like massages my neck or my head, like if I'm not feeling good, he's like, let me help you with that. Mm -hmm. And then it can, it, I mean, sexual intimacy we talk about too is can take headaches and those kind of things away too. So I think as women, we have to change our mindset and be like, you really want sexual intimacy and I want to please you because I'm your wife, because I love you. And you're trying to do the things that I need and want also. And that just takes communication. And it's not like you give me this or you give me this, but it's like finding that balance, like where you're both just serving each other. Well, and for, for most men, I would say there's nothing more gratifying and pleasing than pleasing his wife in the bedroom as well. Like just knowing mm -hmm. that she's, you know, feeling good and enjoying things. And Absolutely. So. And that's, and you hit on what is universally the most arousing thing for men is knowing that they can provide pleasure for their spouse. I think that they're, they're both very generative. Mm -hmm. And to me, I like to think of it almost as like an Oreo. I know it might be a little weird, but I like to look at it as an Oreo cookie, okay? The cream is what you both want. Mm -hmm. Men want to feel connected, emotionally connected and chosen and loved. Women want to be understood, emotionally connected and loved and chosen, right? Yeah. We want that. It's just that we're coming at it from two different sides. So the cream fillings, all the things that we want in common, and on either side, we've got a way for here and a way for here, emotional first versus sex first, and realizing that maybe we need to take turns. Uh, it's interesting. I was working with a couple not long ago, and they had continually come in kind of complaining about their desire struggles. And, um, Finally, I said, okay, you, the wife who was identifying as the low desire partner, you have this whole week where you're going to instigate sex. Her job was to instigate, to, to pursue him, and that he needed to respond to however she was pursuing. And they came back in the next week, and they were so, both of them were so happy. They made love twice that week, you know? And then I said, okay, to the husband, this is your week to pursue and and the wife you need to respond when he's pursuing and they came back the next week so happy they made love twice that week it, i think there becomes this anxiety when someone's rejecting the pursuer will get bigger and louder right yeah. if you're withdrawing and, and distancing yourself like you come on all the time i have a headache i'm tired don't you get this um the pursuer will continue to pursue but when the pursuer feels like the withdrawer is holding still and being available, I think they really settle down fast. I agree. So those two were completely happy with as soon as they got rid of the idea that one was high desire and one was low desire. Yeah, I love it. That's a good point. Yeah. And I love I love the analogy about the Oreo too. I think that was a great analogy. Yeah. 
So, so obviously we know what the end result can be, but you know, what can happen in a relationship or a marriage if couples aren't making, you know, this intimacy a priority or, or maybe I should say more of finding a balance, right? Because a good balance for some couples might be once a week, a good balance for another couple might be, might be different. It's going to be every different for every couple, but what, what can happen in a relationship if that balance is not met? And the reason why I guess I ask this is because, you know, oftentimes the the spouse who's the one rejecting just feels like, oh, they just want sex. It's not really a big deal if I just deny them. It's, you know, they don't really understand the significance of what rejection does um, to the other spouse in, in so many ways with self-esteem, self-confidence, self-worth, just, you know, who they are as a person that does, there's so many things that rejection does. Yeah. If you feel you're not chosen um, and wanted by your spouse, that's very isolating and creates a lot of sadness. And um, it, it, what to me, what happens is that the lower desire spouse, if they're continually rejecting becomes more hierarchical in the relationship. And anytime you have a power discrepancy, you're going to have problems that's unhealthy and so for one to have all the power in saying when we're going to make love or when we're not going to make love i i really think you need to reshift this um, and come this equitably as partners what will happen is one will withhold sex the other withholds money the one it just it will just keep that ledger will keep growing back and forth so um it's interesting to note that John Gottman, he's the leading researcher on marriage in the world, has has said that couples who are really dissatisfied with marriage, uh, 50 to 70% of them claim it's their sex life that's creating the problem. Whereas couples who are really happy in their marriages, only 15% of them say that their sex life's contributing to the happiness. And so when your sex life isn't good, it the, the relationship's not going to be good. It bleeds into every other aspect of the marriage and it feels like, it feels like there's not a lot of happiness and hope and friendship. So true. So true. Yeah. Those stats are interesting, but I, I, I mean, I feel the same way. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's just so true. Mm-hmm. So how, if a couple is really struggling with finding this balance, like what, what is the next step? I guess to say to so like, like you're having a couple that's just like, he wants it all the time. I, I just don't the let's say lower, higher drive. So I'm not saying husband, wife, but, and she's just like so exhausted by it. And just, I mean, they're just missing. I mean, there's so many deeper issues obviously going on, but where do you first start to just really connect to find that balance? Well, I think that you've got to explain the difference of desire style, spontaneous, that where our brains are wired uniquely that way. I think there has to be a lot of communication going on. Um, if trust is not in the relationship, um, that that really does cause a disconnect. Um, if one partner, for, for instance, is pursue or like viewing pornography, that really damages the trust and that can get into, into the play of feeling like you can show up safely sexually for your partner. Um, so we look work at that. I think talking a little bit about um, commonalities, what kinds of things do you both enjoy doing in your sex life? Let's focus on the strengths that you have and um, 
and see if we can build from the things that you already are enjoying together. And then I would have a conversation looking for those commonalities as to what specific sexual desires do each of you have? And, and they need to share that with each other. What are the reasons you do or you don't want to have sex? And talk about that. Um, what can you change in your um, the way you approach sex that could be more inviting to your partner? You know, just to be real specific about what do we have that's common and good and then how can we tweak it a little bit from there? Love that. So a question I have, and I know there's a lot of the listeners out that are that are thinking this as well, especially maybe the men. Um, you know, for for me anyways, like intimacy, sexual intimacy is so much more than just a physical thing. Like, you know, I'm always telling Amy, like, I honestly like the being intimate with you is so much more than just a physical act. It it does so many things to me as a person. And I think there's a lot of guys out there that really feel the same way. Um, in your, you know, in your, I guess, studying and many years of your experience, um, you know, how, how do you feel about that? Why do you feel like maybe that, you know, for men, it is really so much more than just the physical act, I guess. Does that make sense? Well, yeah. Well, men are seeking emotional connection through sex. That's the one side of the Oreo. And women need to feel emotionally safe to want to have sex, to feel emotionally connected, to want to have sex. And so it's just interesting to me that what you're both really wanting is the same thing. We just go about it at from different angles, right? Mm -hmm. And so to normalize that this is, um, a, a, I believe men and women are created intentionally to grow and that there's some way that we need to talk a little better, work a little better at making this work for both of us. This is an opportunity to grow and become more within your relationship. Um, I, I think if someone is really taking upon themselves the rejection, they feel unattractive, they feel like maybe they're a poor sexual, a poor lover for their spouse, I, I really do think what will help that is to increase the trust within the relationship. And that trust will, will be strengthened as the couple communicates more vulnerably with each other, as they create an environment where they actually do and say what they say they're going to do and say. That's a big thing. It's a big thing, especially for women, trustworthiness, um, much more so than it is according to the research for men women are looking for a partner that they actually are going to do what they say they're going to do. And, and that key component building trust is going to help that woman. If it's the woman that's a low desire partner show up more for her partner. Um, those are the things that I think good communication, strengthening the trust and recognizing that this isn't really rejection. It's not feeling emotionally connected to you yet. Mm. That makes so much sense. My question is um, for a couple that, I mean, we know this conversation can be really, really hard, especially when it comes to, okay, how do I sexually please you in the bedroom? Like those, that kind of topic, like what advice do you give to a couple? It's like, I don't even know where to start this conversation with my spouse. Mm -hmm. 
Oh man, come to one of your making love retreats. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> That's right. Um, I think though, if you're not able to communicate about sexuality in your marriage, we need to back up and figure out where that's coming from. Uh, typically where that resistance comes from is uh, early childhood and family of origin influences that are um, being carried into the marital bedroom. And if we can process what what's holding you back from being able to really communicate or open up or enjoy yourself sexually or feel like you're worthy of pleasure, of giving and receiving pleasure, um, most of that honestly is stemmed in really strict or um, religiously um, conservative roots. Mm. And, and we need to like take ourselves out of the soil that's, that's there are a lot of great things about so sexual conservatism. It's wise, it's smart, it's good. But if it gets to a place where there's a lot of shame and fear around messages around sexuality, we need to uproot that and, and plant those roots into a soil that's going to be a lot healthier in regards to their sexuality. That's so important. Yeah, and I love that you brought up the past because it really does have so much of an impact on how we approach different things, right? Like the way I was raised and the way I was taught is maybe a lot different than Amy's. And so obviously, like you said, we bring those things into the marriage and now all of a sudden we have to figure out, you know, how do we, how do we deal with this and for, and talk about it and talk about it. Cause you know, my family never talked to me about sex. And so when Amy and I first got married, I just thought, you know, you don't, this is something you kind of don't talk about, right? You just, just try it. <laughs> you just maybe figure have to out. figure it out. And, and obviously it took a long time to, to realize that's not the way. And I, I love, you know, coming back to communication for couples that can communicate about sexual intimacy. It, it's amazing. They can probably communicate about anything. When Amy and I really started to talk about um, sex and, things in our relationship it was amazing how the floodgates just opened and now we feel like we can talk really about anything whereas before maybe we would have felt like oh that's uncomfortable or maybe that's off limits or whatever so i love that you brought up you know just people's previous upbringings and experiences that they had and how important it is to talk about those and you know why they see things the way they see mm -hmm. things and and just start having those deep honest discussions with each other it's just paramount for marriage. I do a honeymoon workshop several times a year, and this is the bulk of it is, are the questions about sexuality that you've been grown in and how to talk about those things. I also was going to say one other thing, and that is that um, anytime someone feels like they have to do something, there's the desire to do it is gone. When you feel like you have to have sex with your husband or your wife to feel their needs, your desire to have sex isn't going to be there. It's, and so I think one thing that couples can talk about is, is there freedom for me to choose? If I, if I, I don't feel like I can show up for you tonight, what would be something that you would want to do with me tonight instead? And I can choose to show up for you maybe tomorrow morning after I've had a good night's sleep or but you need to feel that you're freely choosing what you're doing or there's not going to be really responsive desire that you want. 
Yeah. That's such a great point. <laughs> it is. I mean, I've kind of got a rebellious personality. So when I feel like, like I'm not that, it's like it's never a forced thing, but it, like when the pressure is building up and you're like, I know he needs it or wants it. So I don't know. Like, I totally understand what you're saying. Like it has to be sometimes, I don't know. That That's a struggle for a lot of people. It is. It's and a real I, struggle. It's a struggle for me. I, I have that little rebellious streak too. If I feel like I have to do something, I'm going to show everybody how I don't have yeah. to. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, Amy and I are both but, like that as well. <laughs> yeah, that, that lack of freedom destroys desire, um, totally destroys desire. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, this has been amazing. And I just... Tell us about your workshops and where everyone can find you and get all your amazing info. Because I know that you are such an amazing instructor, teacher, therapist. Yeah, just let everyone know where to find you, how to reach out to you, and tell us okay. all about your workshops that you have going on and, and the big stuff that you have coming out. I will. I am. I'm Tammy Hill. T a m m y. T a m m y h i l l dot com, and you can find anything about me on my website. I host the Live Your Why podcast. I um, have a new book that's coming out in January. It's been a seven-year project. Um, it's called Replenish. Um, it's creating sexual fulfillment in marriage, and I'm I'm so excited. It's coming out in January. Um, I have a lot of work, online workshops. I do honeymoon workshops, um, making love retreats, three different levels of making love retreats. Um, that are really fun. An intimacy and adventure retreat with you guys. I'm excited. We are excited excited. about that. (laughs) Me too. So that's how you can find me. I was just going to announce that. I was going to say, we're partnering up with one of the most amazing people in the world to throw you the most amazing retreat in the world. So everyone needs to mark their calendars for April 14th and 15th in the beautiful southern utah area That's right. it's going to be awesome so <laughs> i'm excited i have a lot of roots down there and i'm i'm so mm. i feel so honored that you would invite me so thank you yes we're so excited so thank you so much for your time today and coming back on our podcast and yeah and wise words exactly and if you want to learn more about the retreat as well just go to ultimateintimacy.com and there's a tab there for retreats and we will have that It'll up and soon. finalized in the next few days and check it out. Also, you can email us, uh, amy at ultimateintimacy.com if you have any questions on that. So we're excited for that. And thank you so much for your time today, Tammy. We very much appreciate it and all the great insight you've provided. And so for everyone out there listening, until next time, we hope you find ultimate intimacy in your relationship.